Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And we have been studying some very, very heavy subject matter, and it hasn't stopped yet. We're still, we're still going to be touching on some very, very um, uh, sensitive subjects. Now, to my beautiful brothers in the Lord, um, young, old, I don't care, but to my beautiful, beautiful brothers in Christ, I love you. Uh, we're going to be touching on some uh, serious matter. And it's to help us understand. Keep in mind that the church in Corinth, they were babies. Uh, it, it never, ever, ever forget. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, when uh, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes to the church in Corinth and says in, chapter, in verse 1, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, he says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able. You see, they were babies. And because of the fact that they had the arrested development, remember, three years, three years, the time period from when Paul wrote the letter to the church in Corinth and or from the time that the church was founded to the time that Paul wrote the letter, there's three years. It, it might even be four or five years, but I say three years just, you know, for extra wiggle room. But three years of arrested development, no growth in Christ. You know, milk is beautiful, but keep in mind that milk is for babies. You know, there's no uh, moving on to perfection. And... Uh, I don't think the church in Corinth, when you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I don't think the population of the church in, like if we were to take a, the demographics of the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I don't think that the same number is in, 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 at the end of, in chapter 16, 1 Corinthians 16. Because there's something about truth that it divides you know, naturally, naturally so, because our Lord, you know, He's the one who says, I didn't come to bring peace, I came to divide. You know, when you hear me reference in Luke 12, how it's our Lord who says, I didn't come to bring peace, I came to divide. And, you know, I'll turn there really quick without, to, to give you the specific, uh, the specific verse, verse, but in Luke 12, 51, He says, do you suppose that I came, that, that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you not at all, but rather division. And that's what truth does. Truth divides. Now, if we turn really quick, before we start our study, turn really quick to John chapter 6. And in John chapter 6, something interesting happens here. And what happens in John chapter 6, verse 2, we see, he says, Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs. Now, you see multitudes and multitudes and multitudes of people following our Lord. And then, you know, you wonder, well, why are the multitudes following him? It says in verse 2, because they saw his signs. Okay, so a whole bunch of people are following. They see signs, and maybe they want to see more signs. But then you look at verse 5, and then you see, then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him. So now this great multitude, they're in, you know, close proximity. And then what happens now in verse 10? You see in verse 10, then Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. So now when you, when you look at verse 2 and you see a great multitude in verse 5, you see a great multitude. Then you get in verse 10, you're like, wow, that's a great multitude, 5,000. When you read the account in Matthew, 
you see that it's uh, 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 5,000, but then it says uh, 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 including uh, or 5,000 men, and then, uh, and then they had the uh, women and children too. So it, it begs the question, is it 5,000 plus? You know, 5,020, 5,030, 5,100, you know? So it, it, it's 5,000 plus, but you see like, wow, that's a lot of people. And feeding the multitudes, wow, praise be to the Lord. Everybody knows about feeding the multitudes. It's a very popular, even among non-believers, feeding multitudes of people. Even among non-believers, you see, you know, wow, Jesus fed thousands. And praise be to the Lord. But then at the same time, you see, so this, 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 this uh, uh, passage in John 6 where the multitudes are being fed, and praise be to His name, but then uh, after this, what happens is the Lord, the Lord crossed the water. Look at verse 24, still in John 6, verse 24. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there because he left, he crossed the water, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. So remember 5,000, read the account in Matthew, like Matthew 14, you see a 5,000 plus. But then in verse 2, remember, it says they saw the signs. And now, are they still seeking Jesus because of the signs? Let's read on. In verse 26, Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs. So verse 2, they saw the signs and they wanted to see like, wow, what's happening here? We want to see more signs. And then all of a sudden, they get to eat. Now their bellies are nice and full. And now they continue following Jesus. And so... The Lord says in verse 26, You seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. You see? Wow. Wow. So now their bellies are nice and full. And then they follow Jesus. And the Lord says, You seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. That's why you hear me reference from time to time, you know, what is it about the Lord that, that we seek? Is it the presence or is it the presence? Sounds exactly the same, but two different meanings. The presence of the Lord, like the blessings of the Lord. Gimme, give gimme, give gimme give the gifts. Gimme, give gimme, give gimme. I like this. I want this. I want this. And you know, those are the blessings and the seeking blessings. Understand that when we seek the Lord, the blessings are the byproduct. But if we seek the blessings and I want the blessings, I want the blessings, I want the blessings. There's a danger behind that. Because, because of our human, our, our carnal sensitivities, our feelings were, will still be hurt. We will still be offended. Not understanding a love of truth or having a deep and deeper and deeper profound love of truth. Even when it hurts. I meant, have you ever read the Bible, open up the Bible and you start reading and it's like a knife in your heart? Well, if you haven't been... Uh, 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 acclimated to that feeling of, wow, Lord, I, I, I trust you more than I trust myself. And yes, this hurts. And Lord, it's a form of chastisement, Lord. And I thank you for it because I know that you're shaping me. I know that you're molding me into something beautiful. Whereas if you're seeking after the presence, give me, give me, give me, I want the blessings. What's going to happen is you're going to start to cherry pick. No, I don't like reading this, so I'm not going to read this. This hurts my feelings, so I'm not going to read this. It's entirely different to be in the presence of the Lord, to seek the Lord and the presence of the Lord, meaning intimacy with Him. And that's something that we see in chapter 6 of or, uh, John chapter 6. 
And then because the people, it's like, wow, you know, I want to see Jesus because I want to see the signs. I want signs. I want to see the signs. And then all of a sudden, wow, my belly is nice and full. You know, I haven't been this full since Thanksgiving, you know, or whenever. And then all of a sudden, it's like, wow, I want to follow Jesus more because I want my belly to be nice and full. And because of that, now the, the works of the flesh haven't been dealt with. And because the works of the flesh haven't been dealt with, look what happens now in verse 41. The Jews then complained about him, murmuring and complaining. You see, we, we read about murmuring and complaining in the Old Testament. And here we have in the New Testament, what do we see? Murmuring and complaining. And then not only that, but it continues even further. We see in verse 52, the, the Jews therefore quarreled among themselves. You see? Now the murmuring and complaining, and now the quarrels happen, and you think, okay, that's just, you know, that's just this portion of the multitude. There were some people in the multitude, they sought the signs, and, you know, now they're following Jesus because they have, their bellies are nice and full, and you see this carnality, the works of the flesh among the multitude, there's complaining, and then there's quarreling, and you say, okay, but it's different with, with the disciples, with this, with this inner circle, it's a little different. But then look at verse 61. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? You see, does this offend you? So the murmuring, murmuring and complaining, it, it became endemic among the multitude. Not, it's not that the disciples were excluded from that because it started to gain traction. Like, okay, you know, the murmuring and complaining and then does this offend you? That's a hardcore question. Does this offend you? I'm the first to admit when we open up our Bibles and start reading, you know, there are very sensitive subjects that really go against the grain, or go against the grain of the flesh, of the carnal nature. But we have to understand when that happens, it's us that are being transformed when we yield to him. Because if we start to read the Bible as an offensive book, which I have to tell you, it is very offensive to the carnal. The more carnal you are, the more offensive the Bible will be. The less carnal you, be, you are, the more blessings you'll have in the Word of God. You'll fall in love with Him deeper and deeper. You'll fall in love with the Word of God and the Word become flesh. So now you have the disciples complaining. This is all jam-packed into one chapter, John chapter 6. Now you have the disciples complaining, and not only that, in verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Wow. Walked with him among the disciples, not just the multitudes. In verse 67, then Jesus said to the twelve, you see. So at the beginning of the chapter, what do we see? Multitudes and multitudes and multitudes of people. Five thousand. Probably more, could be substantially more, you know, depending on family sizes. But 5,000, that's a lot of people. Well, look, the multitudes are following Jesus. Wow, praise the Lord, that's so beautiful. But as truth is given, I mean, they're following him. Their bellies are nice and full. They seek the signs and their bellies are nice and full and they're following him. And the whole time he's giving them little tidbits of truth. The whole time, truth, 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 truth. And then the people start to murmur and complain. Truth, truth, truth. They start to leave. Truth, truth, 
truth. Uh, more complaining than the argument disputes. Truth, truth, truth. And the disciples, they, they start to complain. And then there, uh, Jesus Christ says, you know, are, are you guys offended? Truth, truth, truth. And then in verse 66, many of his disciples went, went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to 12. 12. Look at the beginning of the chapter. 5,000. Look at the end of the chapter. 12. That's what truth does. It should be no surprise that our Lord himself says, don't think that I came to bring peace. I came to divide. And that's what truth does. Now, that's why I say, I don't think the church in Corinth is the same. First Corinthians chapter one, say for easy math purposes, say a thousand people. Say the church in Corinth in chapter one, chapter two, a thousand people. But then, you know, all of a sudden, as truth gets divvied out, what we looked at last week, chapter 5, you know, that's kind of like, uh, you know, I, I, you could call it an indictment. I don't know if an indictment against the church, I, you know, that might be kind of heavy, but wow, I mean, it's a heavy, heavy chapter. When he says in chapter 5, verse 4, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with, along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, deliver such a one to Satan. Wow. You see, that, that's, that's hardcore. Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, he says, that his spirit might be saved in the day of our Lord, in the day of the Lord Jesus. That's from chapter 5, verse 5, 1 Corinthians. And so let's put ourselves in a time machine. Say, you and me, we go in a time machine, we go back to, you know, uh, 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 this, this particular moment in time. And we sit in a fellowship in the church in Corinth. Somebody comes running in the doors. Hey, we got a letter from Paul. People are kind of looking around, like kind of excited. Like, wow, Paul, we haven't seen him for three years. How is he? Read this, read this letter. It's like, oh, you know, who, who here can read? You know, somebody raises their hand. Oh, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm well-versed. I, I can read. Okay, stand up to the front. Start reading the letter. And you and me, we're sitting in the pews or we're sitting in the chairs. If it's a, maybe a small fellowship, small home fellowship, we're sitting, sitting down just listening. Right? Pews is kind of more, you know, modern. You know? But we're sitting down and we listen. And, you know, First Corinthians the, the chapter 1 is read. Okay, wow, praise the Lord. Look, we're, you know, we're of the elect. Wow, cool. Chapter 2 is read. And they didn't have chapters. It was just like a long, they didn't have verses. It was just a one long, you know, I mean, if, if we were to read 1 Corinthians like the early church, it would just be like 1 Corinthians, the whole book, you know? And so they'd keep going, okay, wow, cool, chapter 3, wow, oh, we're babies. <gasps> I'm kind of offended. He's calling me a baby. I've been in the church for three years. He's calling me a baby. He says that I can't have solid food now. <gasps> I'm a little offended. And then we know about the guy who's having sex with his dad's wife. And then all of a sudden, chapter 4 is read. Okay, praise the Lord. The guy with the, who's having sex with his dad's wife is sitting in the seat in front of you. You know, we come to church, praise the Lord, hallelujah. And then we get to chapter 5, and then he starts saying, verse 2, are you, are you all, and you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you? And in verse 1, he says that a man has his father's wife, and it's the guy sitting right in front of us. I'm so offended. 
Oh my goodness, how dare Paul say that? I'm so offended. You see, that's what truth does. The more carnal you are, the more carnal I am, the more offensive truth becomes. That's how he works. That's, I mean, the word became flesh. We see it happen in John 6. We see it happen in the Corinthian church. Should we be surprised that we see it happen today? We should not be surprised. Sadly, you have a lot of defunct pastors, just as you did in Corinth. Defunct pastors, defunct elders that do not teach truth. Pastors who I know that say, oh, I don't want to teach these books. They're too judgmental. I don't want to teach Revelation. It's too much wrath, too much vengeance. And so I'm just going to cherry pick, teach topical sermons about this and that and this and that so that people can feel good. I've had people tell me, I want to come to church and feel good about myself. I want to come to church and feel good about myself. Okay, well, you know, let's let's talk about how, how, how was your weekend? Oh, I had a blast this weekend, you know. Friday night, I went across town, met with my old buddies. We went to the bar, and we drank and did this. I met this lady over there. Oh, don't tell my wife. What? And you want to come to church and feel good about yourself? You're not going to feel good about yourself. Because the Holy Spirit will convict you. Unbecoming, conduct unbecoming of a Christian. That's what was happening in Corinth. I mean, and Paul's not done. That's chapter 5. You know, he starts addressing this and says, Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. He says, You're rejoicing, your glorying is not good. It's not a good thing. And so Paul's not done, but there's something about truth. I I I I want to I say there's something about truth, but I I also don't want to. It's it's the word of God that is. There's power. The ability of the word of God. I meant like. If you turn on TBN, I don't advocate listening, watching TBN, but if you turn on Tricking Believers nightly. And you listen, you look at a mega church, huge mega church, and just listen to the sermon. I'm, I'm not advocating like you, you know, for 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 that you get you know uh, edification. But it's just something. When I watch TBN, I, I watch it for like you know for for training, you know. And so if you watch, listen to it like a mega church sermon, it's milk toast. Milk. To- I mean, it is like wow. It is designed for babies. If not, I mean, depending on what's being taught, I mean, it's designed to, to, to turn people into apostasy. That's the way of apostasy, depending on what's being taught. I mean, if it's straight up blasphemous, I mean, if you turn on TV, Tricking Believers Nightly, and then all of a sudden the guy's talking, you see the, the pastor who does this grave soaking, that's straight up an abomination. And you listen to the other guy, they get their mega church. You're not going to hear a message that's like, wow, this is hard. You're not going to hear somebody say, deliver such a one to Satan. You won't hear that. Hey, but you'll see the masses. Where do you see truth being taught? It's in small fellowships. And I'm of the strong, strong, strong belief that the age of the mega church is over. 
the age of the large church, 100 plus people is over. I mean, we could look at, you know, COVID restrictions and all that stuff, but, you know, the, the age of the 100 plus size church, I think it's over. I think it's over. I, I, I'm of the strong belief that the church is entering a period of judgment. Judgment. You say, whoa, that's, that's, that's a little too harsh. I can't listen. Well, we know that judgment comes first in the house of God. We know that judgment is coming upon this world. I mean, you talk to Christians, they're like, wow, you know, we're in the last days, you know, and the rapture is going to happen. If you're pre-trib, they say, oh, the rapture is going to happen anytime. The rapture is imminent. Don't forget, the church in Thessalonica was, in, was, was uh, you know, they, they believed in the imminency too. The church in Thessalonica believed in imminency. And then Paul wrote Second Thessalonians. Inspired of the Spirit. He didn't write it of his own volition. Inspired of the Spirit. Hey, Paul, write a letter to this church. Okay. He starts writing. Inspired of the Spirit. And since we know that judgment is coming upon the world, do we willfully forget that judgment comes first in the house of God? That's precursory to judgment coming upon the world. Do we willfully forget that judgment comes first in the house of God or do we woefully forget? I'm of the strong, strong, strong belief that the church is entering judgment. Look at what we see. Look at what we see. That's why I say the age of the megachurch is coming to an end. It's, it's over. I mean, where I see, I mean, you know, you, you listen to sermons of small fellowships. Oh, there's like so much meat and like spiritual pork chops in these small, small, tiny home churches, home fellowships. Pastors who have to teach on the dark web, like in, in North Korea, Vietnam, China, Russia, Arab countries. They can't do it on the public web. We in, in Western culture, we're kind of, we're spoiled. We, we got it good. But in other parts where, you know, they have, you know, hardcore internet restrictions. They have to put their sermons on the dark web. And yes, on the dark web, there's some really nasty stuff there. I mean, the nastiest of the, the gross, most grotesque things. But that's also where you see the word of God. Being taught by the underground church. Pastors disseminating their messages. An underground church, you know, people have their little cell phones, they log in and then they see it and then they can listen to the word, listen to the sermons. Bibles being smuggled in to countries, to areas where Christianity is, it's dangerous to be a Christian. Dangerous to be a believer in Jesus Christ. Now we're starting to see judgment in the house of God. Judgment in the house of God. Look at what's being taught in the pulpits. Look at what's being accepted in denominations. And we need not be surprised that these things are happening. We also need not be afraid. It's very important to understand. And so we're going to continue. Paul, he's not stopping. He has his foot on the gas. And it's not to, it's not to hurt the church. It's not to destroy the church. It's to help them grow. They're babies, but it's to their own detriment, the church in Corinth. 
It's dangerous to be a baby. You know, I watch the nature shows. You hear me mention this from time to time. I'll say it again. I watch the nature shows, and you know, and like a, 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 a gazelle gives birth to a little baby gazelle. And then the baby gazelle, it has to like, it takes a while for them to get their legs, you know, and they start, you know, stumbling. They get up and they stumble, but they have to quickly learn how to walk. I mean, and God gave them that ability to learn to walk quickly, to learn to run quickly. I mean, like two hours after they're born and they're running, not so fast, but they're running nonetheless. And then all of a sudden the cheetahs come or the lions come. And it's the adults with their strong legs. They can run, they can run, they can run. But it's the babies that get killed because they can't run away from the lion. The babies get destroyed and eaten, ripped apart. And what does the Bible tell us? That Satan roams around like a lion waiting for whom he may devour. You see? Babies, it's dangerous to be a baby. It's beautiful if you're a baby in Christ. I mean, if you're a brand new believer one month ago, if you became a believer today or yesterday or last week. But I mean, if you've been a, 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 on milk for two years, 20 years, 40 years, that's not good, my friend. That's not good. And we're going to discuss some hardcore subject matter. And to my brothers, I love you. Not to say these subject matter that we're going to touch on are, are sexual in nature. So if you have children... You know, uh, I don't know if you want to have them listen. I would say, I mean, I, I, I would, I mean, depending on the age, I would, uh, I mean, we have kindergartners that are in being indoctrinated in sex education. Kindergarten is like five years old, five years old. Kindergarten, I mean, you look at, you go to the toy store, you go down the, where the dolls are, and all the dolls, like 80% of the dolls look like prostitutes. So the sexualization of children, it's, it's here. It's, it's been here. We don't, we don't have to be surprised. Uh, TV, I mean, shows, it, it's, it's, it's everywhere. You go to the grocery store, magazines here, magazines, it's everywhere. You're driving down the highway, the, the, the thingamajig, the, the sign on the road, it's, it's everywhere. We're, we live in a sexually charged culture. And so I don't want to say like, you know, uh, let your child listen. I don't want to say it, but, you know, exercise discretion, wisdom, because we live in very, very dark times. And if you don't teach your children about sex, then the world will teach them. And the world's method of teaching is disgusting. You know, the, the, the sexual indoctrination of children, kindergarten age, it's happening. It's here. And so I've, had, I've talked to parents before with like, you know, like, uh, teenagers. And they say, I, I don't like how you teach like this. I don't like how you teach like this. I'm like, okay, you know, you know I'll pray about it, but, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. And then I go visit and it's like they're watching all these dirty shows on TV. It's like, what? You have a problem with what I teach? When, you know, it's in the Bible. You have a problem with what the Bible says about this and, and, and you're letting your kids watch this? Every, the whole family, like right in front of the TV. You see, so we're going to touch on some heavy subject matter regarding sexualities, sex. And so, you know, you might want to have your kids like do whatever, but, you know, depending on their age, I'm like, if they're like 10 and even, you know, Exercise wisdom.
I, I, you know, I don't want to tell you like, oh, you know, have your kids listen. But it's important to understand these things. This is what Paul says in chapter 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. He says, Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints, not before the hagios, the saints? He says, Dare any of you do this. Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unrighteous, before the wicked and unjust. This is the court system of the world. And not before the saints? I mean, this is like the the legal decision of the world versus the legal decision of the saints. Now you see, you start to see why being a babe in Christ is dangerous. Being carnal is dangerous. Being a hypocrite is dangerous because you start to make these passages of Scripture of no effect with carnality, with hypocrisy. Because say, for example, you and I have a beef. You and I have some beef regarding whatever subject matter. Are you going to want resolution to come through the church? I mean, when you look at the church today. I mean, it's sad because, it, you know, sometimes you, you hear people say, oh, yeah, I need help marriage counseling. I need help with marriage counseling. And then they, they go, oh, I'm going to go talk to this pastor. I'm going to go get marriage counseling from this elder. And the guy's on his third marriage. Uh, the guy beats on his wife. The guy's an alcoholic. The, 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 the woman is like all disheveled. She's a slave in her home. It's like, are you getting marriage counseling from that? It's very important to understand these subject matter. That's the danger of carnality. Or even in some cases you say, oh, I'm going to get marriage counseling from this couple, but they're carnal. Carnal. And this is what Paul is starting to teach about. You know, it's very interesting how he touches on the subject matter and, you know, it's going to get heavier and it starts to soften once these heavier subject matter are addressed, such as, you know, the sex. Last week, the guy having sex with his dad's wife. A little leaven leavens the bunch. And now he's going to continue teaching them, hey, when you guys have beef with one another, are you going to go to the court system? Or are you going to let it be handled in the, in, in the church? And if it's handled in the church, being a baby cannot happen. You cannot be a baby and, and handle these. We're, we're going to talk about that more. But it's like, you know, you start to understand like, wow, you know, now I understand. Now I get how being carnal, being a baby in Christ can be detrimental to the growth of the body. The koinonia. The hagios. In verse 2, do you not know? I love that so much because we have this expectation. Paul even pens it down. Do you not know? There's the expectation to know. Remember the church in Corinth, three years as babies, no growth. You know, year one, milk. Day one, milk. Day 365, still milk. I'm terrible in math, so I'm just going to say day 600. I'll say day 700 because I know it goes over 50. So day 700, still milk. Day 1,000, still milk. And so he says in verse 2, Do you not know that the saints will judge the world, will crino the world? Now we get a picture of looking forward to growth, looking forward to maturing in Christ because we're going to receive glorified bodies one day. 
And when we receive our glorified bodies, we're going to rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years. Old Testament, New Testament, we're refer- Jesus, the Lord says how he's building a kingdom of kings and priests. Old Testament and New Testament, a kingdom of kings and priests. Now, prophetically speaking, all the kingdoms of this world will be given to the, will become the kingdom of Jesus Christ. All the kingdoms. So we look at how the world is all messed up now. You have all these politicians, they think they're calling the shots. You have, you know, the U.S., the EU, you have China, you have all these, I mean, a conglomeration of nations in the EU, but you have, you know, France and Russia. Everybody's, you know, vying for power, vying for global domination. That's fine. Let them do their thing. Let, let them, I mean, the, the, the Lord puts them in power. It's the Lord who does that. And you see all this mess everywhere across the globe. And you know what's going to happen? One day, the kingdoms of this world will be given to Jesus Christ. And he's going to rule and reign. But he's going to have helpers. You know, he's going to have people being, you know, the the world. It's going to be completely different than what we know today. Completely different. No corruption. And in our glorified bodies... We're going to judge the world. We're going to make determinations. He says, Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Then you start to understand, like, wait a second, all these things that I have issue with, all these things that I have beef with, it's kind of a trivial matter. It's kind of like, wow, you know, why do I even have beef about this? Why do I have beef about that when... Wow, don't I understand that I'm going to judge the world? You have to put yourself in a situation, kind of position yourself for further understanding. It's kind of like, you know, when you're, uh, uh, say you, you, you uh, 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 say you're a school dropout. And then you realize like, man, you know, I, I, I'm like getting nowhere in life. So now I'm going to get my GED. I'm going to enroll in school. I'm going to do this and and get a deeper understanding. And that's how you have to position yourself in Christ too. I mean, you know, you, you we have, our, like, if you're a milk drinker, don't stay a milk drinker. Desire to, to grow and mature in Christ and be a Berean and read the scriptures. And understand the scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament. Say you and me, we have beef over $5.00. Say, for example, I'm walking in front of your house. I look down. I see a $5 bill. I pick it up, put it in my pocket. And then all of a sudden, you see me through your window. And you're like, whoa, that's my five bucks. I needed that to pay rent. And then you come running out. Hey, that's my five bucks, five bucks. And instead of me saying, oh, you know, here, your five bucks, you know, no big deal. Instead of me, I say, no, this is mine. I find finders, finders keepers, finders keepers, losers, weepers. This is my five bucks. This is yours. And then all of a sudden, we, we, we butt heads. The works of the flesh, the carnal nature. You see, you look at, you know, all kinds of sources of uh, works of the flesh, divisions in the body of Christ. And I don't mean, I mean divisions that just naturally rise up as a result of the flesh. Are you going to want those things resolved by carnal people? Are you going to want those things resolved by hypocrites? I mean, say you have a, a, a pastor who's a sex head or a pastor who's a meth addict 
or a pastor who's, you know, an alcoholic, are you going to, if you have, you know, say you're saved from alcohol and the Lord rescues you from alcohol and then you're like, you're like, you want to take a drink again. Are you going to want to get help from a pastor who's compromised by alcohol? From an elder who's compromised by meth and crack and marijuana and pornography and fill in the blank? Oh, pastor, I'm getting convicted by the Holy Spirit. Well, what is it? Well, I'm a tax cheat. You know, I cheat on my taxes so I can get an extra 5,000 bucks. You know, I'm such a, you know, I'm a loser because, you know, I'm a tax cheat. I pay my employees under the table because I'm a loser and I don't like doing this. I don't like paying, you know, the, the government this. And then the, the pastor, you know, he's also in a situation where he's a tax cheat. And he's going to teach you righteousness. No, he's compromised. Oh, pastor, look, I'm a loser. I don't, I don't, I, you know, I, I'm a tax cheat. And the pastor himself is a loser as a tax cheat. No, you can't do that. That's the flesh. That's the carnal nature. That's the old man. That's the old woman. That's the, that's the old wineskin. And new wineskin, new wineskin cannot hold new, or old wineskin cannot hold new wine. It may for a little bit. But as that new wine settles in, little holes are going to form in the old wineskin and the new wine is going to pour out, which is no endurance. I mean, if you fill, picture your gas tank, you go fill up your gas tank. You don't realize that you got a hole in your tank. You fill up your gas tank and instead of filling it up the next week, you have to fill it up in, you know, two hours because it all poured out. It all leaked out. That's the same exact thing. Old wineskin. Cannot contain new wine. You have to be a new wineskin, which means you have to reckon the old man dead, the old, the, the old woman dead, which is a choice that you have to make. I have to make it too. We're in the same boat. And so when we understand these things that, wow, in our glorified bodies, we're going to judge the world. Then you start to realize, like, wait a second, why do I have beef over these trivial matters? The frivolity of these fleshly things. Verse 3, do you not know that we shall judge angels? Well, another do you not know, you see? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more, th- how, how much more things that pertain to life? Now, how this translates is, how much more is this than things that pertain to this life? That, that would be a better phraseology if I were to go back in time and talk to the translator. You know, whoever was assigned 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I say, hey, look, you know, maybe, you know, maybe we can look at it like this, you know. How much more is this than things that pertain to this life? Now, when we look at verse 3, you're like, wait a second, we're going to judge angels? That You're going a little too far. I mean, the angels are the angels. Well, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2 really quick. And in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, it says, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom, all, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain, uh, captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, all, all one. See, one, unity, oneness, intimacy. 
for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. So we see in verse 9, Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. A little lower than the angels. So the angels were a little bit above Jesus Christ when he was in his earthly ministry. When he was here on this earth. He was a little lower than the angels. But look at chapter 1. Hebrews still in Hebrews chapter 1. Or Hebrews 1 verse 4. Having become so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they so you see, when his earthly ministry, he was a little lower than the angels. And then when he ascended into heaven, boom, all of a sudden, he's so much better than the angels. His authority, he sits at the right hand of God. Now, since we know this is the case, where do you think his bride fits in the picture? You see, you and me abiding in Christ we will ascend one day in our glorified bodies where this corruption puts on incorruption, where this mortal puts on immortality. Where do you think his bride fits in? You know, in verse, uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, Jesus made a little lower than the angels. In chapter 1, verse 4, having become so much better than the angels at the right hand of God. And where do you think his bride fits in? You see, and I'm not trying to deify the church or deify the saint, but to help us understand, like, wait a second, we have to look forward to our glorified bodies. We can look forward to these things. And in so doing, in looking forward to these things, we start to understand just like 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2 says, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Also, by the way, verse 3, do you not know that the saints shall judge angels? You see, you and me, we have to put aside our childish ways. That's the ways of the child. You look at, you know, two-year-olds, how, how it's a piece of cake for two-year-olds to fight, to dispute. It's a piece of cake for eight-year-olds to get into an argument. But it gets a little different when you see like 25-year-olds, 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds. Still having, you know, oh, you're going to blows and, you know, childish works of the flesh. Because the works of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Self-control. You might have a dispute. You might be angry, just like we talked about on Wednesday. You might be angry. You might be sad. You might be whatever. But what is the, do you have an outpouring of the flesh in those moments? In your anger, do you sin? In your sadness, do you sin? In your fear, do you sin? He's like, wait a second. I get how you can sin in fear, but how can you sin in sadness? Well, you know, you're so depressed, you start, you know, opening up the bottle again. You're so sad, you start to open the bottle again. Or you're so happy that you open the bottle again. Or you're so mad that you just start beating people up. The works of the flesh. I mean, it's e the works of the flesh is easy. Very, very easy. You know why? Because there's no self-control. And self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. That's what Galatians 5 teaches us. I'll, I'll read it. I mean, I reference it, but I'll, I'll read it. Just, you know, Galatians 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. 
That's what Brother Paul says. And we have to put aside our childish ways. You see? And don't forget, you know, in, 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 as we put aside our childish ways, don't forget that we also have a choice to make. And don't forget the admonition of Paul in chapter 5, verse 11, when he says not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. And in verse 13, he says, therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. That's what Brother Paul says to a baby church, to baby Christians. And once baby Christians do that, they say, okay, I'm not, my brother, you know, we go to church together and he's sexually immoral. My sister, we go to church together and she's covetous. My other brother, he's an idolater. My other sister, she's a reviler. My other brother, he's a drunkard. My other sister is an extortioner. I, I'm not going to go out to eat with these people anymore. You're a baby in Christ. I'm, I'm just, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to associate with these people anymore. Because that, that's what the Bible says. Not, not outside, you know, the, the non-believer is the non-believer. Paul even says in chapter 5, verse uh, uh, and 10, chapter 5, verse 10, he says, Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world, or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of this world. So we don't have to get on a rocket ship and, you know, live on our own planet. You know, that's what the, the Mormons believe. You know, you're going to die and then you get to be God of your own planet. It's pride. It's exalt, exaltation of self. It's demonic. But that's what the Mormons believe. Jesus, the, the, the spirit brother of Satan, it's demonic. It's a lie. So don't believe that. But to understand that when we make these decisions, you're a baby Christian. Say you and me were baby Christians. And we're in the church in Corinth. And we're, you know, there's the guy sitting in the front, the guy standing in the front, and he's reading the letter from Paul. And he says, Whoa, we're baby Christians. We've been on milk for three years, no growth. And we kind of feel bad about it, like, whoa, I can't, you know, you know, I thought Paul's letter was gonna be nice, but he says, get this brother out. You know, we're a little, we're a state eleven right now. Our rejoicing isn't good. And then he says, not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral, covetous, an idolatry, violent, drunkard, extortioner, not to eat with such a person. Put away from yourselves the evil person. Then you and me, we look at each other. Oh, man, I'm not going to hang out with this guy anymore. Oh, man, let's not you know hang out with that girl anymore. Oh, man, we're not going over there. You know what? Let's get hardcore with this, you know, because I'm not going to hang out with these people anymore. You see? We have a choice to make. Just as we read in on Wednesday, you know, to stay away from the tents. Get away from the tents of Korah and those who followed him. You see, I mean, it's, it's, it's sad to say these things and, and not sad because it like, you know, the sad of what the Bible teaches, it's sad in, because it, we have to make this choice. I mean, I made the choice. I, 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 I want you to make it too. I mean, for you, we're, appli we're applicable. You know, I'm not just saying, hey, let's go to our, 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 our Christian island and then just wait for, you know, God's judgment to befall the earth. No, we have to, we're in this world. 
And it is a treacherous place. It is times of peril. But yet we have to exercise wisdom. We have to exercise wisdom and understand what is happening. The church in Corinth, I mean, we're going to get like, we're going to get into some major, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 11, 12, 13. We're going to get into 2 Corinthians. But before we get into those passages, we have to understand these basics as baby Christian. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 3, 4, 5. We have to understand these basics. We have a choice to make. So we're in the, sitting in the, in the seats in Corinth and it's like, okay, I'm not going to hang out with this guy anymore. And then we look at each other like, maybe this guy who's the pastor shouldn't be a pastor. You know, maybe, maybe this elder, I, I think he's disqualified from being a pastor. I mean, he was condoning of the guy who was having sex with his dad's wife. He didn't say anything. You see what I'm saying? People today would say, oh, that's so mean-spirited. That's so mean-spirited. How is it mean-spirited when it's in the Word of God? It is holy. We are a people set apart for the Lord. Look at the consecration that we see in the Old Testament. When Paul says in, in Romans 12, verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. And not just a living sacrifice, period. He says, a living sacrifice, comma, holy, comma, acceptable to God, comma, which is your reasonable service. Your reasonable service. It's not just presenting our body a living sacrifice. Like, Lord, you know, here, Lord. I mean, that's beautiful. I'm not trying to say that's not beautiful. It's beautiful. But understand that in so doing this, giving your heart to the Lord, giving your mind to the Lord, giving your body to the Lord, it's holy. And when he says acceptable to God, it translates as well-pleasing to the Lord. So then we ought to start to understand, like, wait a second, I was covetous. Wait a second, I was sexually immoral. Wait a second, I was a tax cheat, I was a tax fraud, I was a reviler, I was an extortioner. And you know what? Those days are over. I am done. Lord, forgive me. I repent before you. You see? And then we put aside those childish things. And so look what happens here in verse 4. If then you have judgments, or like court systems, the, the, the courts. If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge you see how wild this is? So, for example, take the dumbest person you know. The absolute, the dumbest person you say, oh, that's so mean. Why do you say it? I'll say, I'll use the Greek. Take the biggest idiotes that you know. The biggest one that you know. Just the biggest dummy that you know. Just makes the poorest decisions everywhere. In every aspect of life, just the dumbest decisions. Take that person and appoint that person as the city judge, wherever you live, the, 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 the head judge in your city, your jurisdiction. Do you know that what, the, what your city is going to, when this person is making decisions on, you know, the, the family courts, civil courts, all kinds of different, you know, uh, uh, contract law, uh, city ordinances, all, all cases are funneled through his or her office. But this person is the dumbest person, you know, do you know what your city is going to look like in a month, in two months? Two years, 
five years, 10 years, it's going to be a cesspool. And you see what happens here? This, in, in this example, the city is going to change. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. But you know what? If we do that in the church, the same exact thing is going to happen in the church. I could say, take the dumbest person you know who's also a Christian, but I won't say it. I'll say idiotes, which is the same, but you know, I'll use the Greek just like the Bible, just like, just like Paul used. <laughs> With no wisdom whatsoever, does not exercise wisdom, does not exercise godly wisdom, not the wisdom of the world, but godly wisdom. And you're going to have that person, you're going to have this group of people make decisions for the saints in the church? No way. Oh, I'm having marital problems. I'm going to go talk to this guy. You know, he's on his fifth wife. Oh, man, you know, his fifth wife. Oh, that's so sad. I'm so sorry to hear that his prior four wives have passed away. What? No, they're still alive. They're also on their separate marriages. They're also alive. What? That's adultery. You see, all these things are condoned in the church. And I'm not saying like, hey, you know, you're going to burn in hell. You're going to burn in hell. If that's you. But you need to repent. You need to repent. And your heart needs to be right with the Lord. Your sin needs to be forgotten. And sin is only forgotten through repentance. That's the only way. Man is going to remember. People, that's part of reaping what we have sown. But people are going to remember. God forgets. Sin that is atoned for is forgotten. And it's not just, when I say take the dumbest person you know and make them the, the city judge or take the, the, the person with the least amount of wisdom and make that person uh, a decider of uh, qualms that, that, that form in the church. It's not just a warm body, which happens in churches. Pastors say, oh, we need a warm body over here. You, you go do this. You, you, you be a deacon. You, you know, you serve in this capacity. Hey, you do that. And people think like, Wow, I'm so holy. Look how awesome I am. I have achieved this position and now I get a special parking spot. Now I get to sit in the pews, but in this location, I get the accolades of men. I get to do this. And you know what happens when we see in Acts chapter six, when there was a need that arised in the church in Acts chapter six, the apostles said in chapter 6, verse 3, the book of Acts, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you, inside the body, seven men of good reputation, which is a good witness, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we, whom we may appoint or ordain over this business. You see, this need arose in the church, and the church didn't say, hey, we need a warm body over here. You, you go do this. You, you go do this. No. The apostle says, you have to choose somebody of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Brother Stephen, he had a little extra in verse 5, says, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith. So he, had, he hit the previous check marks in verse 3, but in verse 5, he had a little extra, full of faith. Beautiful, beautiful Brother Stephen. Oh, I'm so in love with Stephen. All these people that we read about, I'm so in love with these people. So beautiful to see. But what do you have today? You have pastors that, oh, I just need a warm body to serve in this capacity. No, you can't do that because that's carnality. That's, that's what the business world does. Oh, we need a warm body over here. That's, that's business world. That's corporate mentality. But the church is God's business. You see? 
And, you know, talking about succession too, a lot of times pastors, they say, oh, I'm getting old and so I'm going to leave the church to my son. Don't do it. Is your son, does your son meet the criteria? Is your son a novice? Is your son a hypocrite? Is your son full of the carnal nature? I mean, you might be damning your son if you do that. I mean, if your son's like those two sons of Aaron who were burned by the fire, they offered a strange fire to the Lord and the Lord killed them with fire. I mean, if you're a pastor and you think of your, not your church, you think of the church, it's the Lord's church, but you think of the church as, you know, a business and you like succession. Oh, you know, I, I built this church and I'm going to hand it to my son when I'm gone. You might be condemning your son if your son is wicked. If your son has no relation, I mean, look at Eli. Look what happened to him and his sons. He wanted to be his kid's best friend. Instead of being a parent. The church today is a mess. It's in total disarray. Because this is how pastors think. This is how elders think. They're compromised through the works of the flesh. Through the carnal nature. And in, because of that, they become hypocrites. And because they're hypocrites, they are biblically disqualified. From making judgments. Making determinations. Remember, uh, 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 remove the plank from your own eye in order to see clearly. Then when you remove the plank from your own eye, and then when you can see clearly, then you're able to help a brother. Then you're able to help a sister. But you got a lot of people in positions of authority that have big old planks in their eyes. Such as the church in Corinth. All these things that are happening in the church, it begs the questions, where in the world were the pastors? Where in the world were the elders? Where in the world were the deacons? Where in the world were the bishops? Where, where were they? Why do these things even have to be mentioned? I mean, I praise the Lord that they are mentioned because it helps us today. And I'm not questioning the, the authority of the Word of God. I mean, praise the Lord that these are captured in Scripture. But from an, as an observation, it's like, wow, why, why was there a guy in the fellowship that was having sex with his dad's wife and the church comes together and everybody starts to rejoice? Why did it get to this point? A praise be to the Lord for Chloe. I'm so in love with Chloe. So, so, so in love with Chloe. Those in her household, a little home fellowship. I don't know how many people, might have been three people, two people, might have been 10 people, 50, I don't know. But I praise the Lord for that fellowship, those in the household of Chloe. Because even though you have defunct pastors, defunct elders, defunct bishops, defunct uh, deacons, who said nothing, they wanted to be everybody's best friend. Oh, let's just love on this person. Let's just love these people and let God take care of the rest. God did take care of things. You know who he used? Those in the household of Chloe. He used Paul. He used Timothy. I don't know if Chloe was married. She might have been single. She had her own dwelling place. If she was single, maybe she had, you know, a little bit of money. A little bit, no quorum to, 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 to have men and, you know, have men present. No quorum. So it was like, okay, we're just going to have a fellowship of women. And there's no teachers. So you know what? I'm just going to teach a female. I mean, I'm just, you know, it, it, I'm just kind of piecing this together. 
But why doesn't why doesn't the Bible say those in the household of Fred? You know, if if he had if if Chloe had a a a, a, a male covering, and there was no male in the fellowship, or an elder in the fellowship, or a deacon in the fellowship, where they could say, hey, they could go talk to the pastors. No, they went to the male covering, the pastor Paul. Hey, Paul, we got an issue. There's something wrong here in the church. I'm so in love with that fellowship, those in the household of Chloe. Because while everything was just defunct, you know, all this works of the flesh, you have baby Christians. Except it was light in Corinth. Corinth has a little Goshen, you see? In Chloe's house. Where's the light? Oh, where's that? You see all these little lights, you know, the Christians, but they're kind of dimming because they're carnal, they're babies. A guy is having sex with his dad's wife and it's like, whoa, that light is on its way to burning out. If not burning out, burned out completely. Leaven in the church. And then it's nighttime. You look at your, you know, night vision goggles. You see this bright light in the distance. What is that? That's Chloe's house. Wow. Praise be to the Lord. That light is bright. Because you have warriors, warrior training. Chloe's house, warrior training. People learning how to fight. Probably a larger majority of women. Praise be to the Lord. And so we see these passages. He says this in verse 5. I say this to your shame, Paul says in verse 5. Wow. You know, Paul would not be well received in the church today. Imagine if Paul was a guest speaker in a mega church. Paul was a guest speaker in any church. Do you think he'd be well received by saying these words? I say this to your shame. Wow. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one who will be able to judge between his brethren? You see, Paul is saying, where, are, where is the wisdom? Is there not even, is there not even just one wise man? Not even one? You see? So we see like these, these uh, this abundance of the works of the flesh in Corinth, and you, 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 defunct pastors. With defunct pastors, who has been teaching? And not just who has been teaching, what was being taught? What was being taught to where nobody was thinking like, okay, maybe this brother, he's sexually immoral. This sister is an idolater. This sister is a drunkard. This brother is an extortioner. Maybe I shouldn't keep company with them. Why was that not being taught? You see? Carnality. The works of the flesh. It's dangerous. I mean, we deal with the works of the flesh. We're, we're in these earth suits. We're always going to have to 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 have deal with our, our 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 carnal nature, but at the same time we can combat our carnal nature with the truth of the Word of God. What was being taught? Who was doing the teaching? You know, we don't have an answer, but we have kind of an idea of like probably nobody, and if there was somebody, it was. I mean, I don't say nobody. There was you know people, but. They themselves were compromised because nobody said, hey, take this brother and commit him to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. This person is leaven. 
But those in the household of Chloe, they knew something was wrong. Something's wrong here, guys. Let's go to our authority, our covering. Who is that? Paul. We got to let Paul know. Okay, let's send a runner to Paul. Paul gets a letter. He's like, oh, wow. You know, I remember the church in Corinth. I haven't sold. I pray for them. And, I, and I'm going to see them one day. And here I got this letter. And wow. So, I mean, have you ever seen like the way females do their letters? I mean, the way guys do letters, it's kind of cheesy. But the way females do their letters, it's like, oh, nice. And, you know, a little parchment nicely rolled. You know, nice little sticker. Everything's nice. You undo the sticker. All nice and neat. You open it up. The penmanship. It's all like, you know nice and presentable guys just write like you know whatever the females like oh wow this is nice and you're like wow this is chloe's the fellowship in chloe's house oh i'm so in love with this fellowship wow this is so beautiful and then paul starts to read 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 and his eyes just starts to cry and weep this is happening in the church this is happening in corinth and he's weeping like a father weeps for his own children what there's divisions what? A guy's having sex with his dad's wife? He's just weeping and sobbing. Oh my goodness. I gotta write a letter to them. And he starts to pen this. Inspired of the Spirit. He starts to write to the church in Corinth. And addressing addressing the works of the flesh and the carnal nature. Something that nobody's done. No pastor has done. No elder has done in Corinth. Paul is doing it. Praise be to the Lord. Let's see what happens here in verse 6. But brother goes to law. Brother goes to court against brother. And that before unbelievers. So you see, the church and the world are exactly the same. It's not good. It's not good. So say, for example, you know that $5 bill example. I'm walking outside your, your window. I see the five bucks. I pick it up, put it in my pocket. You run out. Oh, that I, I dropped that when I was getting my mail. And, 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 and that's my rent money. Can I have that $5 back? That doesn't have your name on it. I walk away. Put it in my pocket. I walk away. Sue me. And instead of going to the fellowship, you know, instead of going to the, 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 the church, and saying, hey, elder, hey, pastor, we got this issue. Or, you know, uh, people that were set apart for that, you know, to, to, to judge in that capacity. Instead of going to them, you know what we do? We go to civil court and we, we, we settle the matter in the court system before unbelievers. So say on the docket of the court system, you have, you know, case number 2389. And then, you know, they'd hear that case, you know, a burglar, a home was burglarized. Okay, next case, you know, 5423, and then, you know, it's uh, a, a, an assault, you know, happened at the grocery store or whatever. And it's okay, the judge hears that, whatever. And they say, okay, case number 7823. And say, what is this? This is, you know, this person against this person. Okay, it's about this and, you know, $5. What? The judge is like, what? The, the, the jurors, they kind of smirk like, $5, what? And you're the plaintiff. And you say this, you point, you know, this guy over here, he took my rent money. It was $5 and he picked it up on the thing. And this guy is the biggest jerk. I can't stand him. And then I'm the plaintiff. The judge listens, says, okay, you know, defendant, that's nice. Looks at the plaintiff and looks at me and says, okay, you know, what's your case? How do you please? I go, you know, hey, I'm innocent. And I point back at you. Hey, this guy's a jerk. You know, and the judge is like, what in the world? I, I deal with these weightier matters and you're going to come at me with a $5 dispute? The jurors start to laugh and we're just making a mockery of the name of Jesus Christ. 
were making a mockery of his name because of the works of the flesh. You're mad because I took your five bucks and I'm mad because it's my five bucks. And we're just, we're, you know, oh, this guy's the biggest jerk. No, you're a jerk. You're a jerk. And we're just going to dispute before the court system. And that's what's happening here in verse 6. But brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers, exclamation point. It's not good. Now, therefore, it is already an utter failure for you. Now, see, that's what Paul would not be well received in the church today. Some churches, the remnant church, he would. He says it is already an utter failure. Not just a failure. It is already an utter failure. It is a complete failure for you. Paul is so mean. You're so mean, Paul. How dare you say that? You're hurting people's feelings. You're so mean. You're calling us a failure. You're so mean-spirited. Remember chapter 4, verse 21. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 21, Paul says, What do you want? Question mark. What is it that you want, guys? That's what he's asking the church. Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? You choose, you guys. That's what he's telling the church. You guys choose. Because I'm going to pray and I desire to come to you and I want to come to you. And Lord willing, I will come to you. And when I come to you, I want to come to you in a spirit of love. I want to, I'm going to come to you in love and a spirit of gentleness. And if I come to you in love and a spirit of gentleness, then these works of the flesh, they have to be dealt with. You need to deal with it, church. What is the works of the, works of the flesh? Well, I heard that there's a guy who's having sex with his dad's wife. And you're puffed up. You're not, you haven't rather mourned about it. Take this brother, commit him to Satan. Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Your glorying is not good. I want to come to you in love and a spirit of gentleness. And if that's going to happen, then you got to deal with this. Take this guy, kick him out of the church. He's leaven. And also, anyone who, anybody named a brother... The world is the world. But anybody named a brother who is sexually immoral, covetous, an idolatry, violent, drunkard, extortioner, don't eat with such a person. And therefore, put, your, put away from yourselves this evil person. Because I want to come to you. I, I, I long to come to you. And I, I, in love and a spirit of gentleness, I don't want to come to you with a rod. I don't want to come to you guys with a rod. But if these things aren't addressed, the guy who's having sex with his dad's wife, then I'll come to you with a rod. You choose, what do you want? Guys, that's what he says. Chapter 4, verse 21. What do you want? Putting the onus on the church. The church has to respond now. The ball is in your court, church. You got a choice to make. And so say you and me, we're, 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 we go back in time to that church in Corinth. We hear that. And we're like, whoa, Paul, said, what do you want? I want to see Paul. I want to see like, you know, I want Paul to come in love and a spirit and gentleness. Because I, you know, I heard what he said to the, to the church in Rome, you know. I heard what he said. I remember what he said to this guy. I remember what he said in the synagogue. And he, he gets down, you know. He can get pretty hardcore. And not only that, he's like our spiritual father. I mean, he birthed us in Christ. I mean, we know that is the, 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 the work of the Lord. But then at the same time, when he says... Uh, uh, in chapter 4, verse 15, when he says, You do not have many fathers, for in Christ I have begotten you through the gospel. And it translates as, I have birthed you through the gospel. 
So he's like, you know, we look at each other and we're like, whoa, you know what? I know last night we had dinner with uh, the, that covetous person and that idolater and that, you know, sexually immoral person. But, man, that's the last time we're doing that because I love Paul. I'm so in love with Paul. I know you are too. And you know what? Let's put this away. Let's put this aside. Let's move on to perfection right here, right now. Let's repent and let's repent and let's get our hearts right with the Lord. And let's mature in Christ. I don't want to be a baby anymore. Do you want to be a baby? No, I don't want to be a baby. Okay. Let's put aside these things and let's move on to perfection. And when Paul comes to town, man, we can hug him, you know. Oh, it's going to be so lovely. And he's going to come in love and a spirit of gentleness. And, you know, let's, let, let's, let us take care of the rod aspect right now. Let's take this brother and kick him out because he's leaven. And it's a form of love. Love for the saints. Love for the, for the remnant. These are some hardcore subject matter because you see the abundance of the works of the flesh in today's... I mean, we're talking about Corinth, but I mean, like your, our eyes are in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 today and it's like, okay, all you got to do is look up and look at the state of the church. Look at the state of the church today. I mean, I teach from America, Western culture, and the state of the church is pretty ugly. It's pretty ugly from a doctrinal standpoint, from uh, the works of the flesh standpoint, from a hypocrisy standpoint. Just like the church in Corinth, where were the elders? Where were the pastors? The same could be said today. Where are the pastors? Where are the elders? Do they not teach? Paul says in verse 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 7, now, therefore, it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Now, very rarely do I lord over anybody's faith, and I don't want to. But sometimes I make specific mention. I want you to highlight this. I'm going to do so right now. Highlight this last part of verse 7. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Question mark. Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated. Let yourselves be defrauded and destitute is how it translates. You see? That's powerful. That's hardcore. Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? That's hardcore. So that $5 situation, you and me have beef over five bucks. I, you see, you're in your window. You look out your window. You see me walking by. I pick up five bucks and I put it in my pocket. And you're like, oh, man, that's, there's the five bucks I was missing. I got to pay my rent. You come running out. Hey, that's my five bucks. Can I have it back? Sure. Here. No big deal. Here it is. No big deal. Or that's me like, well, I, I'm, I don't have my five bucks anymore. What I thought was mine, I don't have it anymore. Or you look out the window and, you know, you're like, you see me put five bucks. You're like, wow, that's my rent money. And man, I'm really kind of up the creek without a paddle, but I'm going to let myself be cheated. I'm not going to go to court. I'm not going to take him to court. I'm not going to, you know, don't, you know, I, I remember what Paul said. That we're going to saints, we're going to judge the world. The saints will judge the world. I remember what Paul said, we shall judge angels. I don't want to go to court over these small, minute things. And yeah, it's, I'm short on rent money, but you know, I'll, I'll, I'll work an extra shift, you know. That's letting yourself be cheated. That's, the carnal cannot understand this. 
And I'm not saying, you know, that's a choice that you have to make for yourself. I can't make it for you. Nobody can make it for you. You can't make it for another person. Only a person can make it for himself or herself. I want to let myself be cheated. And then in so doing, you can rejoice. Why? Look at how our Lord was cheated. Look at how our Lord subjected himself to that too. When he was innocent. Completely, completely innocent. And look at what they did to him. Why do we not rather let ourselves be cheated? Look at what happens here in verse 8. No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat. And you do these things to your own brethren. Paul is getting things straight. He's saying, you guys, these works of the flesh, this isn't good. This isn't good. Now, verse 9. <clears throat> Do you not know, he says, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? That's a hardcore question. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, he says. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, this word for fornicators, pornos, pornos. Does that ring a bell, men? Does that ring a bell? Neither fornicators, pornos in the Greek, which is fornicator, debauchery, prostitute, and whoremonger. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters. Idolater is a worshiper of an image or a servant or, or worshiper of an image. Nor adulterers. The adulterer here is an illicit partner of a married person or an apostate. Nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, which is effeminate. Or, nor sodomites, which is an abuser and defile of self with mankind. Sodomite. You don't see, you won't see that word sodomite anymore. But it's in the Bible. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards. Drunkard here translates as tipsy, habitual drinking. Nor revilers. A reviler is abusive in language. Nor extortioners. This is obtaining gain from another uh, 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 by force, by violence, by fear, or under the guise of right. So, you know, you make it seem like you're innocent. You make it seem like what you're doing is right, but really you're extortioner. Will inherit the kingdom of God. Remember, neither in, verse, in the beginning of verse 9, neither. Fornicators, idolaters, uh, adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. That's a hardcore verse, verse 9 and 10. These are hardcore passages. And remember this. Do not be deceived, he says. You see, deception is going to get worse and worse and worse and worse in these last days. Because things like this, these are inside the church today. And these are entering the church at an astronomical rate. The church is being defiled by the works of the flesh. But not so with the remnant. Not so with the remnant. Division is happening right before our eyes in the camp of God. In the camp 
of the church. Division is happening. Just like we see division happening in the Old Testament. In our studies in Numbers. We see the Lord dividing. That's what truth does. And I love this so much in verse 8. It says, And such were some of you. Past tense. Never forget that. Past tense. Not such are some of you. Not that you're a drunkard and such are some of you. Not that you're a reviler, an extortioner, covetous, thief, sodomite, homosexual, adulterer, adulterer, fornicator, pornos. And verse 11 doesn't say, and such are some of you. It's past tense, which means what? The old man, the old woman have been reckoned dead. Such were some of you. And this is so beautiful because it's like, wow, you know, inside this church in Corinth, we're former fill-in-the-blank, a former drunkard, former extortioner, former covetous, former reviler, former sodomite, former homosexual, former adulterer, former adulterer, former, former fornicator. Former. And if that's you today, you're listening. Say you're a, not a believer. If you're listening to my voice, you're not a believer, and you're like, man, I'm a drunkard. Man, I'm a reviler. I'm an extortioner. I'm a homosexual. I'm a fornicator. Is there no hope for me? Yes, there's hope for you. You repent and you receive Jesus Christ right here, right now. Hit pause and listen to the message, How to Receive Jesus Christ as Lord. And then when you're done, you say the sinner's prayer, you're done, you come back. You know, Come back and hit play. Keep listening. That's the old nature. That's the old nature that has been, you know, dead, killed by you. You make a choice. And now you're alive in Christ. Now you have a choice to make. Now that you're alive in Christ, you have a choice to make. Do you obey or do you disobey? And with disobedience comes a lot of mess. And not just a lot of mess, but don't forget that disobedience, it, trespass, is the way into further, I mean, it gets dark. Turn with me to Hebrews really quick. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Departing. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And that's what happens with trespass. The heart becomes harder and harder and harder and harder. That's the deceitfulness of sin. That's what Satan does. Satan tries to get you and me to, 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 to sidestep the trespasses. And in so doing, our heart can become harder. And without repentance, our heart can become harder and harder and harder. And just as verse 12 says, that's the, it leads into an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Oh, yeah, Jesus, you can, Jesus will save you. Jesus will save you. Yes, we can. Jesus does save us. But we can also walk away from Him. We can also depart away from Him. Don't let that happen. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. In verse 11, And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. It's old to new. Your old nature is now new in Christ. It's not your old nature and you're still old. It's not that you're a crackhead, you come to Christ and you're still a crackhead. 
You know, you're a sex head, you come to Christ and you're still a sex head. You know, you're a tax cheat, you come to Christ and you're still a tax cheat. No, those, those things, that's the old nature. It's old to new. Not old to old. Or old to new and back to old. No, it's old to new and we move on to perfection. You know, people always say, oh yeah, you know what? I'm a Christian and you know, I still cuss from time to time. I still get drunk from time to time. Oh, but God is good. Okay. You know, how long have you been a Christian? You know, it's, oh, I've been a Christian for 10 years, 20 years. It's like, wow, how, is it taking you this long to learn? Let's move on to perfection, my friend. Let's move on to perfection. Oh, don't judge me lest you be judged. Where's the judgment? I never said you're going to burn in hell. But I've taken the plank out of my eye and I see clearly. I'm not boasting. But because I see clearly, I'm telling you, you know, let's move on to perfection. Oh yeah, I still get drunk from time to time. I still get high from time to time. I still go to the strip, strip club every now and then. And I, I'm still a Christian. Everything's good to go. The works of the flesh, it's okay. No big deal. Well, don't forget the deceitfulness of sin. Your heart can become harder and harder and harder. And that's how you depart away from the Lord. That's the doorway to apostasy. The defection away from truth. The state of being apostate. Which is prophesied to happen. It will happen. And it's happening. But not so with the remnant. The remnant is getting brighter and brighter and brighter. Because the remnant has lamps and has oil for their lamps. And in verse 12, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things, but all things are not profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Now, verse 12 is a big deal because a lot of people point to verse 12 when they're in the carnal nature. But don't forget. This is Paul writing this. this is, these are Paul's words. All things are lawful for me, Paul, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, Paul, but I will not be brought under the power of any. It's not to say that this is not for you, but understand that this is Paul saying this. Now, it, it, just like, you know, I am crucified with Christ. That, that's Paul saying, I am crucified with Christ. Sometimes people say, Oh, I am crucified with Christ. And as I look on social media, you know, why were you getting drunk last night? Look at this social media. You post this, you're at the strip club last night. I, I, I don't see crucifixion. I see the old nature, my friend. I see the old nature, sister, brother. I see the old nature. How can you say you're crucified with Christ when there is no crucifixion? The old nature is still alive. You haven't reckoned the old man dead. You haven't reckoned the old woman dead. Oh, but Jesus hung out with prostitutes and... You know, the adulteress, yes, he did. But remember, he told the woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. Oh, but if you say you have no sin, you deceive yourself. Amen, it is written. But as we grow and mature in Christ, you're not going to be sinless, but you can get sin, you can sin less. Less and less and less and on to perfection. On to and the Lord's not done with you. When the Lord is done with you, you'll be dead. The Lord says, okay, I am done. And then boom, heart attack. 
okay, I am done. And then, you know, boom, car accident or something, I don't know. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Paul says, all things are lawful for me. Remember in uh, 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 chapter 4, verse 4, Paul is the one who says, For I know nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Now, he's not he's saying that he's justified by that, the fact that he knows of nothing against himself, but for Paul, a Pharisee of Pharisees, and not just a Pharisee of Pharisees, I say that in his knowledge of the Bible, but he's also like the, the father of many churches through the gospel, birthing many churches. Helping our faith grow even 2,000 some years later, give or take a couple years. And he's the one who's saying, I know of nothing against myself. Whoa. That's hardcore. That is hardcore. And so he's the one who's saying in verse 12, chapter 6, verse 12, all things are lawful for me. This is Paul speaking. A mature Christian. A mature Christian, an apostle. Not to have any, you know, not to, you know, exalt him, you know, and deify him. But as a model of what the... Remember, Paul is the one who says that you, God has appointed these people as a pattern. And the godly people, they are patterns to follow. But you look inside the church today, where do you see a pattern to follow? Where do you see a pattern to emulate? And I don't... I don't say that to disrespect the Lord because the church is, belongs to the Lord. He's the pastor of the church, the, the, the unseen pastor of every church, head, head pastor. But you look inside a fellowship. You look at the pastors, the elders, you look in the pews, you look at the worship leaders. Where do you see a pattern to emulate? Where? The pastor who wants to go grave soaking? The elder who teaches false doctrine? The, the pews, the, the, the pastors who are sex heads addicted to pornography? The pastors who are crackheads, the meth heads doing their marijuana? Oh, it's legal now. That's nice. I don't care. But it's the finest marijuana from Chiapas, Mexico. That's nice. I don't care. Are you a model to emulate? The worship leader who's beating on his wife? The worship team all having sex with each other. You look in the pews. Alcoholism, drugs, sex. Where is the pattern to follow? You see? We must look at Christ. We must look at Christ. Paul says that, you know, you have... You know, God has appointed certain people as a pattern to follow. You know, you see these things and you're like, wow, Paul says this, Paul says this. And for me, in my own walk, Paul is like, wow, he's such a beautiful example. Not just Paul. Beautiful, beautiful Stephen. Beautiful, beautiful Philip. And I don't know, there's not much said about Philip's, you know, his daughters. But wow, his beautiful daughters, prophetesses. Chloe, those in her household. I don't even know them and I'm in love with them. You know, those in Chloe's household. I, wanna, I can't wait to meet them. Lydia. You remember Lydia in our study in Romans? Wow. Aquila, Priscilla. 
all these beautiful people. It's like, wow, this is, wow, that's a model to follow. There's a pattern to follow. So when Paul says all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful, that's not, I've seen carnal people, Christians, the world is the world. But Christians who, you know, they're, they're crackheads, they're sexheads, they're addicted to pornography, they're addicted to their meth, they're addicted to this, they're tax cheats. And they say, verse 12, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. It's like, oh, crack isn't helpful, but it's still lawful for me. Pornography is not helpful for me, but it's, it's, it's you know, it's, 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 it's not helpful, but it's still lawful. No, 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 no. That's twisted thinking, my friend. Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power or the control of any. This is Paul's choice. Because when you're brought under the power of something, whether it be an addiction, sex, drugs, alcohol, whether it be uh, uh, the carnal nature, it's compromise, spiritual compromise. Compromise. By their own choice. He says in verse 13, foods for the stomach and stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it, it and them. I'm putting things in proper perspective here. Now, men, pay attention. I love you, okay? My beautiful, beautiful brothers, pay attention. Now, the body is not for sexual immorality. This is porneia. Porneia. Does that ring a bell? Porneia? Fornication, adultery, harlotry, incest, idolatry. And the Lord says the body is not for sexual immorality. Pornography is a cancer in the church today. It's getting worse and worse and worse. It's destroying churches. It's destroying uh, fellowships. It's destroying marriages. It's destroying families. Our pastor in California, well, he would make mention of a, a time there was a a marriage counseling. He did marriage counseling and they started talking and it turns out that the guy was cheating on his wife. The guy caught some STDs and he caught HIV. So they do their marriage counseling and it turns out the wife became HIV positive. And he still, you know, in the course of time, she died. The wife died. She was faithful to her husband, but her husband was, you know, cheating on her. Prostitutes over here. Oh, I'll, I'm going to come home, come home late tonight. Meeting with the prostitute. He's HIV positive, except he's still alive. Imagine the kids. Adult kids now. Adult kids now. And it's like, wow, my mom is dead. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. How did it happen? And it's all of a sudden you're shaming your family. You just think about all this shame. You can't, it's like, oh, I don't really talk about it. Okay, no big deal. But the mom is dead because the dad, the dad killed her. You see? Men, I love you. My beautiful, beautiful brothers. I'm so in love with you. Understand the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. You see? And the Lord for the body. You see, you for Jesus and Jesus for you. That's the temple. Your body is a temple. It's not for your pornography. It's not for your prostitutes. 
It's not for, you know, girlfriend two, three, four. It's not for the strippers. It's for Jesus Christ, your body. In verse 14, And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. This is a future event. God will raise... Remember, Jesus Christ ascended into heaven. The, the first fruits of the resurrection. Because He's the first fruits of the resurrection, there's going to be another resurrection, which is the rapture of the church. Now, you might say that it's pre-tribulational. I say otherwise. People say, oh, it's, 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 not a, it's a non-essential. Well, you might say it's a non-essential, but once the 70th week starts, it's definitely going to be an essential, especially knowing that there's prophesied to happen the great falling away. Prophesied to happen, which means it will happen. In verse 15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ or limbs of Christ? Remember, the body of Christ, I mean, it's said kind of plainly here, we're members of Christ. And Paul says, this is a hardcore question. Shall I then take the members or the limbs of Christ and make them members of a harlot? This is porne, porne in the Greek. Look at all these words we're looking at. Like in, in verse 9, it's fornicators, pornos, which is fornicator, debauchery, prostitute, and whoremonger. And then in... in uh, in uh, uh, verse 13, for sexual immorality, it's porneia, which is fornication, adultery, harlotry, incest, and idolatry. And now we're in verse 15. Shall I then take the members or the limbs of Christ and make them members of a harlot, porne, which is a strumpet, a prostitute, and a whore? That's hardcore. Certainly not the exclamation point. But that's a major, that's a hardcore hitting question. I meant the very thought, verse 15, the very thought, I don't want to get graphic. But the thought of, 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 of the limbs being in union with a whore. Blasphemous to, to even utter these words. It's blasphemous that the thought, the thought of it is blasphemous. And that's what Paul is saying here. Shall I then take the members or the limbs of Christ and make them members of a harlot? It's the thought of it is like, wow, it's blasphemous. You might in your heart of hearts, you might be thinking, like, stop, don't even say that. It is blasphemous. And yes, it is. Why is it rampant in the church today? You say it's blasphemous? Rightfully so. Does that not mean that the behavior is blasphemous? You see? Why do we... Why, why, the, the, the church is undergoing some major, major... tests. Major tests. And we're entering this period of judgment. Look at what's happening to fellowships. Major churches are shutting down. You know, the, the government says you can't have meat. You can't meet. You can only meet with this fraction of people. A fraction of people come. They might tithe. 
but their tithing cannot support, you know, the utilities, cannot support rent, cannot support a mortgage, cannot support, you know, whatever. They cannot support salaries. And so churches are shutting down. Big churches are moving to smaller venues. Smaller churches have to shut the doors. Big churches are even shutting the doors. And I don't, you know, there's a side of me that there's, the, I, 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 I weep for the faithful church. The ones that are impacted, the faithful pastors, faithful elders, beautiful, beautiful Christians, their families, and I weep for them. But then you have these mega churches that teach poison. You have these hundred plus churches that teach poison. All kinds of works in the flesh. You know, the worship team, everybody's having sex with each other. Pastors are having sex. Youth leaders are having sex with the kids. All kinds. And I rejoice that those doors are being closed. I rejoice. I'm thankful that those doors are being closed. But for the remnant, I weep. Very trying times for the church today. And Paul says in verse 16, Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot, to a porne, which is a strumpet, a prostitute, and a whore, he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. Now, I don't want to get graphic, but like, you know, husband and wife get married, and you know, they get married, and you know, the marriage bed, it's holy. But, you know, you have the male, the female. Physically, they become one. They are attached, you know. They become one. Well, understanding this, we are one with Christ. I'm not sexually speaking, but one with Christ spiritually. The two should... Do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. You see, we're glued, we're uh, cleaved and glued to the Lord. But this rise of, we live in a sexually charged culture. I mean, you hear me mention about the dolls day. I, I, you know, when, when I was, I never walked through the, the, the doll aisles when I was a kid. I mean, maybe to run through and go to another section, but you know, like, the dolls, you know, you walk through the dolls in the in the 90s, you walk through the dolls section and, you know, uh, 20 years ago, I mean, it was getting, it was bad then, but today, you walk through the doll aisles, oh my goodness, it was like prostitutes, they got their caked on makeup, they got their, you know, prostitute clothes on, and it's like, why well, you have a little baby girl that wants a new, new doll, it's like, wow, well, I'm sorry, you know, yeah, I want to give you a doll, but not this. I don't want you playing around with this prostitute. You know, I don't want you to learn how to dress like this. I don't want you to learn how to cake on makeup like this. That's not beauty. You see? Everything's geared towards the sexualization of children, and it's happening. I thought it was bad when I was a kid, but oh my goodness. It is terrible for kids today. Look at the suicide rate, all these schools being closed, the suicide rate among kids, it's on the rise. College kids, high school kids, junior high kids, it's all on the rise. All these psychologically messed up elementary elementary school kids. And yet we see these things start to happen. Imagine when everybody starts taking, they go to the doctor, they get they start taking their antidepressants. 
Now you're going to have a bunch of zombies running around. I mean, it's just going to get worse and worse. Problem one begets problem two begets problem three. But the remnant has to be wise. Has to be wise. You say, oh, I'm American. I demand my rights. When did, you know, we studied the book of Acts. When did you see Paul, you know, rest on his rights? When he exercised his rights, it cost him his head. As a Roman citizen, when he exercised his rights, it, it put him in jail, it put him in prison. They arrested him. And it led to his death, it led to his beheading. We have to be very wise in these last days. This rise we see of pornography in the church, the sexualized culture, the sex, it's coming into the church. The world is the world, but the world is coming into the church and the world is in the church. But he, in verse 17, who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee, he says, escape and run away. Flee sexual immorality. There's porneia again. Harlotry, adultery, incest, fornication. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. It's external. Every sin. But he who commits sexual immorality, and this is porneo now. Now a different word, porneo. So now we have porneia, porneo. We have porne, porneia. And then we have the uh, pornos. Very interesting, men. My beautiful, beautiful brothers whom I love. He who commits sexual immorality, porneia, which is the indulgence and the lust of porneia, which is harlotry, adultery, incest, and fornication. And he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. It's the defilement of the temple. One's own temple. It's internal. And Paul says, flee, run away. Flee sexual immorality. Marriages are being destroyed because of pornography. You know, guys, you have these loser guys. They watch their pornography and then they go to their wife and they say, Oh, wife, I want you to perform sexually like this. And these loser husbands, you know, they're watching their phones, they're watching their computers, and they're watching all these things and doing dirty things. And then all of a sudden they go to the wife and they say, wife, do this. And because the wife, they go to all these fellowships that say, wife, submit to your husband, submit to your husband, submit to your husband. And yes, it is biblical for a wife to submit to her husband. But when your husband is in submission himself to Jesus Christ, because what happens? A husband goes off and becomes a crackhead. Hey, wife, you know, let's go do crack together. The wife says, no, I don't want to. Then the husband says, well, the pastor says you have to submit to me. And then the wife says, hmm, yeah, that's right. So, okay, husband, I'll submit to you. Let's go do crack. You see? And so you have these wives in submission to their husbands, their carnal, wicked husbands. All of a sudden, they, you know, they're watching their computers, their dirty stuff on their computers. And then they say, hey, wife, you got to do this for me. Do this sexually, perform like this, perform like this. And then the wife does it, and it's just the unnatural use of the human body. Paul addressed that. The Bible addresses all these things. The unnatural use of the human body. You see? It's it happens. And then all of a sudden, you know, a family gets just gets destroyed. I talked to a child molester once, convicted child molester. 
And he said all his addiction started with pornography. It had to get more intense, you know. It was like, you know, I, I, I do this, and then, you know, it just gets more intense, and then finally it turned to children. Convicted child molester. Parents who don't exercise wisdom, they say, oh, you know, I want to, the Bible says be hospitable to strangers, so I'm going to be hospitable to strangers, unless I'm going to invite this person into our home. And you talk to these kids, you talk an adult late, an adult female, who's just a messed up adult. And she opens up. Hey, sister, you know what's wrong? What's happening? She opens up and starts to tell you her history. When I was a child, you know, we brought my, my parents, they brought in this guy. They became friends. The guy was hard up, you know, and didn't have a place to stay. So they stayed with us. And when I was a little girl, he used to molest me. And this guest in the home threatened the little girl. He says, don't you dare touch or don't you dare tell your mom or your dad because if you do, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to strangle you. I'm just scared the living daylights out of her. Little girl. And this little girl was so frightened. Here you have mom and dad. Oh, yeah, I just want to be nice. I want to show love. I want to be hospitable, just as the Bible says. But because they were stupid, because they didn't exercise wisdom, you have bringing a wolf into the home. Victimize the daughter. And it got worse when she, you know, puberty. That was like, you know, before puberty, when she was a little girl. But after puberty, she started to develop and it just got worse and worse. And finally they moved away and that she was like so relieved. So relieved. Wow, you know, we moved away. It's freedom, you know, the, finally the, 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 she won't be victimized anymore. And then all of a sudden the parents say, hey, baby girl, guess what? Do you remember this old guest? Look, here he is. He, he was hard up and I said, hey, come stay with us. And all of a sudden it just starts again. The vicious cycle. 16-year-old, 17-year-old, she's 18, boom, she's out of there. You see? All because the parents, oh, we just want to be, we want to show love. We want to be hospitable, just as the Bible says. Well, you know what, parents? You were stupid because you forgot about wisdom. You see? Now you have, you, you, you've invited the wolf in your home. And the wolf destroyed your child, your daughter. Every, everybody's sexually charged now. That's the culture that we live in. And you know what? When the Holy Spirit lives, he who now restrains, when the Holy Spirit lives, do you know what this world is going to look like? I mean, it's going to be so nasty. It's going to be so gross. I mean, for kids, for adults, for everybody, it's just going to be like a dangerous, dangerous place. Ugly, disgusting cesspool. It's not going to last very long, you know, maybe a time, times and half at times. It's not going to last very long. But unless those days be shortened, no flesh would be saved. But that's the culture that we live in. That's the world. And the world has entered the church. You have to flee sexual immorality. Men, women too. But as a man, I speak to my brothers. And for my sisters too. Flee because of what's happening with females now. You have all these young girls, they, they're like in love with being in love. You know, they say, oh yeah, 
all the, the, the cool kids have their boyfriends, so I'm going to get a boyfriend and I can't keep a boyfriend. So, or, you know, maybe I, I, you know, I don't look like this girl, so I got to do this. I got to kick on the makeup. Look at kids nowadays, the junior high, elementary kids wearing their makeup. But you have these young girls, they watch pornography because they, they want to learn how, how to perform sexually. Young girls. It's, it's the sexualized culture that we live in. And it's coming into the church. I shouldn't say it's coming into the church. It's in the church. It's here. But you have a choice to make. Just as what was written last week in chapter 5, verse 11, not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral, covetous, an idolatry, reviler, drunkard, extortioner, not to eat with such a person. Verse 13, therefore put away from yourself the evil person. That's all. These are hardcore. These are hardcore. But get away from the tents of Korah and Dathan and Abiram. Get away from those tents. Dangerous, dangerous times. In verse 19, in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, he says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? You see? You are not your own. Who you look at in the mirror, you could the, the person you look at in the mirror, Belongs to you, belongs to Satan, or belongs to Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High. That's kind of your only choices. And, you know, you could say, I mean, if it's you, that's like the doorway to Satan. Because, I mean, it's not turned over to Jesus Christ. Who is sitting on the throne of your heart? Is it you, is it Satan, or is it Jesus? I pray it's Jesus, and I pray it stays Jesus. But you're not your own. You are not your own. Straight up. You were bought at a price. It's very interesting because don't forget that Satan wants to take the seed away from you. And I say this, I'm going to keep saying this, but in in Luke chapter 8, verse 11 says, Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. You must understand that Satan doesn't want you to believe. The seed, which is the word of God that you read, the word of God that we study, he doesn't want that to be inside of you. And if you're not a believer... You need to be a believer. I mean, you have a choice to make for yourself. But understand that Satan, he knows that he's going to hell. He knows that he's going to burn in hell. He just wants to take you with him. Don't let that happen. And for the believer, understand the nature of warfare. Because praise the Lord that you, you, you believe. But then now comes obedience. It's not just belief, it's belief. Okay, now that we have belief, praise the Lord, even the demons believe. But now let's obey. And now with obedience, understand the nature of warfare, how Satan doesn't want, he doesn't want you to believe. 
And he'll get you to trespass. He'll try to get you to trespass. Because he wants to turn your heart harder by the deceitfulness of sin. Just like we looked at in Hebrews 3. And then for those around you, your people you love, family, friends, co-workers, understand that if they're not a believer, Satan wants to destroy that seed in their heart. That's the nature of warfare. You know what blows me away so much? Everybody likes to talk about spiritual warfare. But nobody likes to fight. Nobody wants to fight. Because you see loss after loss after... I can understand the loss. But it's just straight up loss after loss after loss after loss after loss. I mean, in a fellowship, in a church. Loss after loss after loss. I can understand like, you know, a hit, two hits. A defensive posture. But where is the offensive posture? And when you go on the offensive posture, it's... You know, understand you can't be a novice. The, the, the Bible indicates you can't be a novice. You have to understand the Word of God. You have to be equipped. It's dangerous to be a baby. Just like in Corinth. Very young Christians. You know, by their of their own doing. Of their own doing. Arrested development for two years. Or three years. They were on milk and they stayed on milk. And because they stayed in milk... Look at the, the works of the flesh. You remember? I mean, I, we, we referenced the Galatians 5, but turn to Galatians 5 really quick. <clears throat> In Galatians 5, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, Envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you, bef- tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Very interesting, because these verses remind me a lot about the church in Corinth. Christians. In chapter 1, 2, 3, 4. And then 5 and 6, Paul says, okay, let's deal with this. Let's deal with this now. Remember chapter 4 when Paul says, "How do you? what do you want then? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? If you want love and a spirit of gentleness, then you got to correct these issues. You got to correct the leaven. We got to deal with this leaven. We got to deal with the covetous. We got to deal with the revilers. We got to deal with the sexual. It doesn't mean kill them. Hey, let's take them out back and stone them. No, it doesn't mean that at all. It means that, hey, get away from the tents of Korah. And his followers. <clears throat> Just as we studied on Wednesday. That's the works of the flesh. It's a trick of Satan. The deceitfulness of sin. Because in the deceitfulness of sin. Your heart gets harder. And harder. And harder. And it's, it leads to the doorway of departing away from the living God. Just as Hebrews 3 says. Oh, but once saved, always saved. I became a Christian. I did the altar call when I was 10 years old, so I'm good to go. No, that's that's deceiving yourself. Because you remember 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. You deceive yourself. In verse 22 of Galatians 5, Paul writes, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, 
long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, <clears throat> let us also walk in the Spirit. You see? Those who are Christ have crucified the flesh. You know what that means? The old man, the old woman, that person's dead. That's what it means. You're a homosexual? That person's dead. You're alive in Christ. You were a fornicator? You were a sex head, a crackhead, a meth head? You were an alcoholic, a drunkard, a reviler? Praise be to the Lord. That's the old man. That's the old woman. You are alive in Christ. You are, you know, those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh. Not just crucified the flesh, period. Crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. You see, it's to grow and mature in Christ. You say, wait a second now. Why do you keep talking about all this growing and maturing? Why do you talk about well, I do it because the Bible does. The Bible teaches us about it. Remember, Hebrews 5, Hebrews 5, verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers. By this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Translates as he is inexperienced and ignorant in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. So now you see the dangers of the church in Corinth. They were milk drinkers, not solid food. They were on milk after three years on milk. And he says here in verse 13 of Hebrews 5, everyone who partakes only of milk, only of milk, is unskilled, is inexperienced and ignorant, unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. You see? But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Therefore, in chapter 6 now, verse 1, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, you see? Let us go on to perfection. Move on to perfection, my friend. You, me, both. Let us move on. You see? You know how dangerous it is to be on a steady diet of milk? And that's what you see in the churches today. That's what you see being taught in the pulpits. I know pastors who will not dare touch Revelation. They won't. They won't teach revelation. They won't teach heavy passages. They won't teach hard-hitting subject matter that are in the Word of God. They'll do their topical messages so that people can feel good about themselves. Those are man-pleasers. Those are hirelings. Those are the ones who will tickle people's ears, telling them that whisper-sweet nothings in people's ears. No, the only way, when you read the Bible, the only way you're going to feel good about yourself, and it's really the blessing of the Lord, is with obedience. That's the only way. And I tell you from experience, I'm not like pointing my finger at you and saying, you got to do this, you got to do this. No, I'm telling you from experience. You know why? Because I've felt those burning coals. 
I have felt those arrows in my heart. I have felt the knife in my heart. And the knife I felt in my heart, it was right from the front. The Lord never stabbed me in the back. The Lord will never stab you in the back. Satan will. But the Lord will jab you right in the front because he confronts the natural man, the natural woman. And it's hardcore when he does. I used to read passages and feel like I was on fire. Read passages or listen to a sermon, I felt like I was like 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 on fire. I felt like if somebody took my body temperature, it'd be like a million. The little thing would pop at the end. Because it was the conviction of the Spirit. You see? I mean, even these passages that we looked at, like in, in uh, chapter 5, verse 11, not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral. I was like, whoa, that was, I felt like I was on fire. Covetous, like, wow, like burning on fire. An idolater, reviler, you know, abusive, that was me. A drunkard, that was me. On fire, like, oh my goodness, like what in the world? And then repentance came. Humility came. I don't say like it was easy, humility and repentance. No, the Lord messed me up. He wrecked shop on my face. Hardcore, he messed me up. But praise be to the Lord and praise be to his name. I tell you these things from experience. The only way you're going to feel good about yourself, which is really the blessing of the Lord, but the only way that happens is with obedience. The more disobedient you are, the more offended you'll be by the Word of God. The more obedient you are, oh my, like I read these passages now. I mean, not like not to keep company. I don't like reading it and I'm blessed by it, but I'm blessed because it's like, wow, you know, because I read not to keep company with anyone named a brother because it's like, wow, the remnant. Yes, Lord, protect the remnant. How beautiful this is for the remnant. You see, it's like, wow, what about the obedient sheep, the obedient lambs who are obeying you, Lord? It's like, wow, let's protect these people. It's so beautiful to see these people are protected. The lambs, the sheep, they're being protected. And when the wolf comes, it's like, oh, let's be nice to the wolf. Let's be nice to the wolf. Let's just love on him. No, kill the wolf. Kill the wolf. If you're a pastor, if you're an elder, you identify a wolf, kill the wolf. Metaphysically speaking. But you know what's happening today? A lot of pastors, they don't do the biblical qualifiers. They, they'll pick a novel. They'll just choose a warm body. Hey, you know, we, we need somebody to serve in the children's ministry. So you, you go help the, the, in the children's ministry. Not knowing that this guy's a sex head. The guy's a, a, a pornography addict. And all of a sudden, you're putting the wolf with the kids? You see? The wolf is with the kids. And you have these sickos molesting children. Touching them. Doing dirty things. Boys and girls doing dirty things with them. You see? Now, if you're a pastor, and that's, you, need, you need to fix that situation. Kill the wolf. Kill the wolf straight up. Call the police, send them to prison. And, you know, maybe this guy will repent in prison. But that's between him and God. You have a job to do. You have to protect the sheep. You're going to let the wolf mess around with the lambs? I shouldn't even call them sheep, the lambs. You're going to let the wolves mess with the lambs sexually? Woe is you, oh pastor. 
Woe is you, O elder. That's very common in churches today. Children. The most innocent in the fellowship. I mean, the, the little ones. I mean, once you get into teenagers, it's like, okay, I don't know about the innocence anymore. That's like a, another ministry in itself. Oh, okay, you got a choice to make. I mean, if you're a youngster, if you're like 14, 15, you know, you you have a choice to make. You can't be riding on your parents' laurels anymore. You have a choice to make. And the Lord needs to be yours. You know, it's not Jesus Christ of your parents. That's like Jacob, remember? The God, how Jacob was like the God of my father. Every time he said, the God of my father, the God of my father, the God of my father. And then he wrestled with the Lord and the Lord messed him up. The Lord changed his name to Israel, governed by God. And he said, the Lord my God. He no longer said, the God of my fathers. He said, the Lord my God. The Lord became his God. So if you're like a teenager, the Lord is not Jesus Christ of your parents. If he is, that's not good. He needs to be yours, personal, your personal Lord and Savior. Your one-on-one love relationship with Him. But if you're like little, like three, four, five, oh my, the most innocent. You see? Protect the sheep. I know pastors like, oh, I don't like teaching this because I don't want, I don't want people to feel like, you know, they're not loved in the fellowship. Well, if you're teaching the Word of God, you know, you don't have to worry about that. You teach the Word of God. And yes, you know, truth will divide. Just as the Lord says that He would do. People aren't going to like you. People will hate you. People will call you, make fun of you. They'll say you're crazy. They'll Praise the Lord, you know. Rejoice because Scripture is being fulfilled in you when you teach the Word of God faithfully. And people might leave. Look at the safety of what remains. They don't have to worry about, you know, the sex heads. They don't have to worry about, you know, the crackheads. They don't have to worry about the idolaters, the revilers, the drunkards, the extortioners. They don't have to worry about that. There's safety now where they can graze and feed on the truth of God's holy word. Then you're going to have visitors come in. Praise be to the Lord, you have visitors in. But now those little kids, now they're, they, they have strong legs, they can run now. And maybe they, 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 they not only can they run, but they, they know how to hold a shield now. You have these little warriors. And they know how to fight. They're learning how to fight. The whole time, the next generation of righteousness, you see? How powerful this is. When we not just read the Bible, but heed the Word of God. Just like Paul says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, in closing, he says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Understand, you don't belong to you. If you're a Christian, you don't belong to you. The throne in your heart, that belongs to Jesus. That's His. For you were bought at a price. It costs you and me nothing. It costs God His only begotten Son. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You see? 
And I praise the Lord for his long suffering. Because I mean, like, if, if, if the Lord came, like, I, I, like 30 years ago, 20, 28 years ago, I'd burn in hell. But praise be to the Lord that he's long-suffering. Because in his long-suffering, he saved me. So as much as we're like, Lord, come quickly, come quickly. Praise be to the Lord. We can desire these things. But understand that he's long, as he is long-suffering, let us be the ones to share the good news with wisdom. We can't be foolish because, you know, we share the good news, but we have to be very wise. Very, very wise because these days are getting... It's not like it was like in the 90s, 80s, 90s. It's, it, it's totally different now because this rise of the Antichrist spirit, it, it, it's to the point where it's dangerous now. Militant, militant atheism. It's, I mean, it's, it's, we have to be wise. And you know what's interesting about this young church? Look at all the times he says, do you not know? Do you not know? In verse chapter 6, verse 2, do you not know? Verse 3, do you not know? Verse 9, do you not know? Verse 15, do you not know? Verse 16, do you not know? Verse 19, do you not know? How could they know when they had defunct pastors and defunct elders? How could they know? You see, six times, how could they know? Six times he says, do you not know? Do you not know? Do you not know? Do you not know? Verse 16, do you not know? Verse 19, do you not know? How could they know? When the pastors weren't teaching. The elders weren't teaching. The pastors themselves were compromised. Because look at what's happening inside the church. But not so with the remnant. Those in the household of Chloe. You see? Praise be to the Lord. We're going to end our study here. And Lord willing, pick up our study in chapter 7 next week. God bless you guys. Love you guys.